the pale blue dot. Thanks so much, Cynthia, for uh, for coming on the show. Um, I wanted to start off by just giving the listeners a bit of a brief introduction to, to who you are. So if you could just um, carry the mic for me, that'd be that'd be radical. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I've had a lifelong fascination with um, like reality, ideas, consciousness, even since I was a child, because I, um, I had a feeling that I was already existed before I was born, and everything seemed like a dream to me. So my, my view of reality, I realized, I came to realize, is quite different than most people's, but I also socially acclimated to my family, who felt really weird to me, but I, um, my, my path forward then became one of following science because my dad loved science. He really emphasized that. Um, so what I ended up doing is majoring in physics at UC Berkeley. But then, because they didn't really have a consciousness studies department or anything like that, I would watch these PBS TV shows called Thinking Aloud with Jeff Mishlove. It was a big deal in America at the time. Well, not really a big deal, but <laughs> I mean, I was a little on the fringe. But Big deal for you. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, I then proceeded to get an MBA degree. I was still trying to fit in and do things kind of, you know, that would make my parents and family happy. But eventually I had a huge Kundalini awakening that put me back on track for living a more spiritual life, more focused on what really matters. And then I've been, for the last 20 years, I've been focusing exclusively on tracking the nature of consciousness, looking into quantum consciousness, working with conferences that get to the, um, like the hippies who save physics. I work with those guys and doing life coaching. I've got my radio podcast. And most of all, I've got a website that I put everything on. And that's realityshifters.com. Mm, wow. Lots of questions. <laughs> but, I mean, the first thing I remember, um, uh, Bill, Bill Ma said it once and he said, um, talking to someone that's interested in both spirituality and science is as bizarre as hearing the term gay Republican, which is, that, that made me laugh a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, how, how, because I'm sure you must get that question a lot. How does spirituality come into science? Okay, that's a good question. It's kind of a secret. I love your analogy because it is a kind of a closeted thing. You know, you'll find most people who believe in God or believe in spirit, they, they if they're, for scientists, it's very embarrassing to say that publicly. So I know a lot of scientists in private who definitely do believe that, but they don't want to say that because it looks like it it defeats their science. Because science, um, the study of science as we know it so far, but this is about to change. <laughs> but the way we know it so far, it's all about what can be measured. It's about um, hypotheses. So you've got your, you know, some sort of an idea of what might be happening, and you test it by running some experiments, you believe in these assumptions that we've made about science, that you can be perfectly objective and that what you're thinking and feeling will have no influence, no effect whatsoever on the experiment. There are no such things as non-local effects, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Well, where I'm going with this is thanks to quantum physics, this is all changing. So I think there are people like these hippies who saved physics, they are very spiritual. They actually care about, um, and I'm sort of clumping them all together, grouping them together, but obviously each person is their own individual, but, but like me, they care about what's really going on in terms of consciousness itself. How does that, 
have an effect. The frustrating factor with spirituality and the reason it's still in the closet is we still don't know. There's still no agreement. And this is more than 100 years after quantum physics came on the scene. So it's frustrating, but it's exciting. So for someone that completely has no idea about anything that you just said, as though you were just speaking Chinese, could you define what quantum physics is, essentially? Okay, well... If you can. Yeah. So physics is the study of things and, you know, effects and the way that the material so-called building blocks of our reality work together. And so quantum physics supposedly was just going to be investigation of the physics of the very, very small so that we could work out the common principles in effect that operate on these tiny building blocks. Again, I'm using this term building blocks. The big shock happened when people looked inside the atom and they found, okay, we've gotten it down to the nucleus. We've got protons and neutrons. We've got electrons buzzing around. So these electrons, these are quantum particles, meaning it's a quanta. It's indivisible. You can't break it down any smaller. Other example would be a photon. And once you get there, there's nothing smaller. So like, good, we're making progress. The shocking thing, though, was that these indivisible little quantum particles, they sometimes act like they're building blocks, something physical you can measure, you know where it is. Other times they smear into a wave function, and that's where it gets exciting. Yeah, and when I was researching quantum physics, because I... It just was so hard for me to wrap my head around, but I, I went deep. I tried to go deep, and I looked into the double slit experiment, and um, there was that idea that you know they the particles when you and please please correct me if I'm wrong, but when you shoot them from through something to another side, they kind of you know permeate and act more like a wave, where you can kind of tell the probability of where they're going to be, but you just can't pinpoint it. What what does that essentially mean for the bigger picture? Okay, well, that's that, that double slit experiment, first of all, that's been called one of the most classic experiments in all of science. Wow. And that, that doesn't mean that now it's all clear as a bell and we know exactly what's going on. No, uh, scientists like things that illuminate what we don't know. And so, in a sense, that is still creating wide-open questions. Mm. <laughs> so what this, the implication is huge because... Um, part of that double slit experiment has to do with, with the way that the observer, the scientist, would be able to actually influence the outcome of that experiment based on whether they happen to be looking at one of these slits to see um, which one the, the particle of photon is going through. And so if they have a particle detection device in one slit and they know where it is, it no longer creates that diffraction pattern that looks like two pebbles falling in a pond with the little waves that that constructively and destructively interfere with each other. You know, those little little ripples and waves of choppy water. So um, so those concentric rings, uh, the patterns don't show up, up, and instead it looks like you threw paintballs of light through one particular slit. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the scientist is looking, it's like the, the particles know, oh, the scientist is looking. We better act like particles now. And that's the part that kind of um, is nerve-wracking, to put it mildly, for scientists, because... Um, remember, the assumption has 
always been since science since western science began that we would never have any effect we can be objective and now that looks completely shot which i think is a good thing because you know many people felt like that was never exactly correct to begin with yeah and it's certainly even even just speaking out in a general fashion the idea that we're born you know and then we're we're separate to the world you're separate to matter and then when we die that's the end of us it's just a little bit you know it just doesn't really make much sense considering we're all made of compiled stardust that essentially came from something that happened that we can still kind of see in the galaxy 13 and a half billion years ago sorry in the, in the you know the as far as the observable universe goes it just doesn't make much sense i mean but this is why i wanted to talk to you because i'm like okay it doesn't make much sense which as far as i can tell but there could be a whole lot of things that i'm missing here you know so how does fr from that experiment that we were speaking about before where it's you know we, we think the particles do something but it's only when that we observe them that we see that they actually do something and what they were doing before we observe them could be something different entirely how does that relate to the spirituality and the consciousness concepts that you were speaking about before uh, good question well for me and i think from most scientists immediately what we start noticing is there's some kind of a connection going on between this um the observer that was supposedly just some objective observer and the particle so it's it's very implicit in, in, mm. in right built right into the experiment itself obviously there is a connection and and furthermore we see other evidence of forms of entanglement that's the very scientific word for this um not just with the particle and the observer but part with groups of particles can be entangled with one another so the implication is huge no longer uh, can we so readily say well um you know, I'm just alone in the universe. I was born alone into the world. I'm going to be alone and mm. I'll die alone. That's not really at all ever what's happening. We're so much more interconnected with everything than we probably ever fully realize. That's exciting. Mm. We're getting back into the spiritual side of things. <laughs> yeah. Which Absolutely. is where the quantum physics um, takes us or seems to take us. Obviously, there are scientists that would like to pull this back apart, you know, pull it apart. It's like, no, 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 we can't go there. We can't say these things. Um, but for those who say consciousness is, is primary, consciousness is fundamental, and even Max Planck, the founder of quantum physics, said things like that. Mm. So there are a lot of people that believe, in fact, the founders of quantum physics believe that we are connected, that this is, this is extremely relevant for our lives, not just for the field of physics. Yeah, absolutely. And you can almost see that, you know, I mean, the beautiful thing about science is that it always tries to prove itself wrong. And that's why we've gotten so far in such a short amount of time. But for, for scientists that, as you say, want to try to pull this back and say, no, we are separate, we are separate. If they're always trying to pull themselves, prove themselves wrong, does that not act a little bit hypocritical in that fashion? Like what, what's the agenda behind wanting them to be so certain of a classic Newtonian world? Yes, what, what I feel is going on at this point is we've run almost as far as we can go with Boolean logic, and we're sort of hitting the wall, uh, just like we are with computers, uh, that we can't micro make things any smaller than, than, than we already have without getting into quantum effects. And as soon as we do that, we've got quantum computers happening. And as soon as we've got quantum computers, we can't ignore the fact that there are these entanglements and so forth. So... 
I, I think the logic has to change. We have to be aware of something that the Eastern, because I keep talking about the Western logic, mm. but in the East, they've got things like fourfold <clears throat> logic, which has a lot more to do with the way that nature actually works. So it's not just our familiar categories of true and false, black and white, so <clears throat> forth, uh, but instead it's a recognition that there's true and false, not true, not false. And that's much more similar to the, these quantum wave functions that exist in a, um, basically a superposition of states. So we don't know what state they're in, and it effectively creates sort of this wave function, this blur, this field of possibilities. Mm. And that's what quantum computers are going to be working with. That's what nature already works with. That's what we're already working with. And human, the way we think, is being proven that our decision-making and the way our memory works have very quantum processes, so it's very, very quantum. It's not Boolean. We're in, and people have been thought to be illogical. We're not illogical at all. We're quantum, so we take it into effect relationships, and the way things affect each other. That's very quantum, and our computers will be using that logic. And I think that's where our science needs to go. As far as what that looks like, I don't think we've seen that yet. So mm. that's a good question. <laughs> Well, it's, 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 I mean, nothing, and I, I always do try to play devil's advocate with everything because it takes me so bloody long to understand anything, you know, and nothing that you said there is, is, is completely out of the ordinary. I mean, like everything, everything has an equal and opposite reaction. Like we are so subjective and what my truth is, is completely different from what your truth is. And it's, it's interesting that people are so against this idea. Do you have a, do you have like a, um, a fundamental reason perhaps as to why there are some well-established scientists out there that are so against the idea of um, quantum physics with that idea that, you know, consciousness changes things and yeah. Well, I, I don't, it's hard for me to get into that mindset, but um, I can kind of empathize with it because there's a desire for humans to have a sense of control. Yeah. Uh, of course we believe that we have free will. I'm not against that at all, but uh, some people would further like to know, we can control the experiment. We can control the effects we're having. If we if, if we don't have control, then it's crazy. How do we know what's really happening? How can we prove anything? How do we know that some scientist isn't just um, telepathically aware of our experiment and therefore influencing it? We're in the realm of the crazy. So that's what the, the detractors would say. It's like, this is insane. You can't measure it anyway. There's no definition for consciousness. If it is primary, what does that mean? How is it already there? Mm. How, you know? What good is any science then? So there, I think there, there's sort of that that feeling that science has done so well so far with Boolean logic, with a very um, they consider it a Western rational approach. They'd like to keep that rather than throw it the baby out with the bathwater. So yes. I can understand that. Yes. But, but I think I've hit the end of the road personally. I, I don't think we can go much farther with this Boolean logic classical thinking in a quantum world because fundamentally everything really is quantum mm. at every level of quality not just the very small and I think that's what people are starting to recognize when they look at the theory of everything they want to bring astrophysics together with quantum physics and then they realize okay but if quantum physics effects are occurring on the cosmic scale and occasionally we can expect to see evidence of it that's a little freaky for some people, and again, they're going to say, that's crazy, we don't want that, <laughs> we can't believe it, there's got to be, there's no proof of that. They'll say things like that. Mm. I, can, I can sort of empathize with that. Mm. 
It makes perfect. It, I mean, you can see that side because it is scary. I mean, you know, the we, we, we have two minds, don't we? We have our evolutionary mind that wants to keep us safe and comfortable and protected all the time. And then we have this other mind that's almost like this, has this existential calling to be connected to something greater than ourselves. And we're, we're in this weird state where we can't seem to reconcile the two of them, you know? It's very, it's very interesting. But you have to think as well that because something that I was looking at over the past couple of months was looking back through, um, you know, what the sacred texts talk about. And, and Carl Jung was very big on, on, on alchemy, which is obviously very outdated now and all that sort of stuff. But before Rene Descartes came along with that whole mind-body dualism, the alchemists really perceived the world very much like with what you're talking about, where if they were trying to make the elixir of life and all sorts of things, what was going on in their own mind was very, very, it, it wasn't so separate from, from reality is what we call it, you know? Um, and so I guess that kind of leads on to my next question, which is how does, how do you define spirituality and where does spirituality come into this? Because this, this is very interesting. Yeah. For me, it's about meaning. Yeah, I, it's to me the sense of when something matters, when you feel like it has relevance for for an individual. To me, that is spirit. To know um, the essence of who you are. When you ask yourself, "Who am I?" Um, and you meditate and you observe. Okay, I'm observing the one who's having these thoughts and feelings. I'm observing who's having this kind of a bad or good day. Looking at all that. But then, if I'm the observer, what? What's that? Well, that's spirit. So to me, spirituality gets into that that sense of observation of the observer, that awareness mm. of being aware. I think that's the key to it. And then I, what I find instantly happens is what you touched on, where we have that feeling of being something part of something much bigger than ourselves that's, that really matters. And personally, I love to feel that there's a goodness to it. I like to feel that there's this sense of conscious wisdom, love, beauty, knowingness, that is so vast and so connected to all that is. So for me, that's what this feels like. And, and we can we can give it names. Um, for me, when I look at religions, they often are like blind men and the elephant. Each one is touching a piece of it. And so we've got the perennial wisdom traditions that bring forth a lot of that and start pointing out, look at this. You can see a common commonality with these different spiritual paths. And I think there's truth to that. To, but this this grand hidden order which exists this spirituality this framework to me it shows uh, it, I feel that I am infinite that I am eternal not in the human body but the I am presence that I can be aware of and I think we all have access to this so it's uh, to me it's exciting it, it helps show the way that no matter what things may look like we can find a solution for anything and that that, that to me makes it worthwhile relevant and practical so it's mm. not just some lofty <clears throat> ivory tower spirituality but it's hey you know it's, it's the way we move through life yeah and i the good thing about that is that you know if something adds meaning to your life it's not it's not like a blind faith idea where oh good there is a god so i don't have to do everything because god will save me yada yada it's that idea that spirituality in your very individual way is given you a way to do all and be all that you could be so it actually gives you the almost this like this little um spring in your step to to, to go nuts and actually explore things you know um 
that can only be beneficial. <laughs> right. Hopefully. Very true. I, I think I think when people <clears throat> use it when it's not beneficial, it's it's like a dead end trail. They just haven't figured that out yet. Mm. So they're trying to get a short. Often, um, because of hubris, you know, people can be very um, proud, and we can think like, I've got this figured out. I'm in control here, and that goes for a while until it doesn't go, and then you realize, oh, oops. <laughs> so. So I think eventually people come back to um, to a, a greater, kinder, better viewpoint. It's mm. more <clears throat> encompassing, yeah. So talk to us about some of the work you're doing then. So what I'm doing is um, mo- mostly life coaching at the moment and occasionally giving talks. I'll be giving a talk for Institute of Noetic Sciences. Um, they have lots of little groups. It's an organization that was started in California by an astronaut, Edgar Mitchell. The sixth man to walk on the moon. Wow. And then this, the, the association and organization itself, although based in Petaluma, California, is actually worldwide. And so people have chapters. There are lots of them in California. So I'll be going next month to give a talk about, um, about quantum physics and spirituality, actually, because mm. that, that group of people is very interested in this topic. Um, and like you said, it's it's kind of a, a very select niche of people that love both of those. Because <laughs> sometimes you find people just want spirituality or just want quantum physics, but it's fun when it comes together. Mm. So I enjoy that. And then I've got my radio show, my Living the Quantum Dream podcast is getting back up and running. It took a little bit of a break last year, just did a couple of shows, but I'm getting back into it again. So that, that's fun. That's great. And who, who are some of the people that you get on your show? Well, I've had, um, from England, I've had John Joe McFadden talking about life on the edge. So I like to bring on a scientist who talks about, like, the quantum biology, which is a brand new field. We're going to see quantum physics sneaking into all of the sciences, whether they like it or not, and upsetting apple carts everywhere. (laughs) So um, (laughs) John Joe McFadden was on that bleeding edge. He was one of the first people years ago to insist that he was certain that there were quantum phenomena effects happening in photosynthesis and other areas. And um, eventually it kind of came to the attention of Seth Lloyd at MIT. And he said, really? Well, we can prove it or disprove it if you want to test that out. Mm. And so um, Seth Lloyd did some calculations, computations, and created a mathematical algorithm that actually did prove that quantum Physics is working indeed in <clears throat> photosynthesis. Wow. The other areas are, are not quite yet proven, so it's still a little dicey, contentious, lots of arguments, and scientists getting ruffled feathers. <laughs> but but I like that stuff. So I had him on the show, and then I had um, Jerome Busemeyer on the show talking about quantum models of cognition and decision making, which is where you know he calculated again with lots of formulas uh, exactly how you can prove that our our minds and the way we make our choices have a lot to do with quantum physics. So mm. I love that stuff. Mm. And I also bring, bring on authors talking about things that to me are obviously part of this quantum connectedness that we all have. So that's the framework for the show. Mm. Great. And so I wanted to just um, to bring it back again and <clears throat> really hit this, um, hit this idea with what we're talking about on the head because um, I probably just realized that I went super deep into it, but for someone that is, is not very well versed in what we're talking about, it could be a little bit complicated. So what what is, what is how can I formulate this question? Um, what What is the implications um, for, for 
for the layman, essentially, with, with this work? Well, I think there are lots of uh, what you might call takeaways where you could recognize that uh, that we are, as I said earlier, connected, mm. that you're not alone, that even if you think you're alone, just the fact that you're observing something is probably changing it. And now that may freak people out a little bit, but you don't need to get upset. Just um, do your best to keep a positive attitude and keep a positive perspective because probably what you're looking for you're going to find. Yeah. And so that's that's one of the huge takeaways, which, and that's a real elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it. Really? <laughs> wow. It's amazing that no one wants to talk about that. That would, I mean, like, if you go out and see what you want to see, essentially, but that's so true, and that causes a lot of people anxiety and things. You know, you, we do do that. You do you do go out, and if you're scared about something, you do attract that. You just start to see your world molds around that. I mean, a strong case can be said about the news. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. And then some people will say, well, you can't change everything. Um, but what I've been tracking with my website, Reality Shifters, that's exactly what I was tracking to begin with. The things were absolutely changing. You know, that I'd be looking at something like my keys or, you know, you run a load of wash in the laundry. And it's a common experience to notice that you don't get all your socks back out of the dryer. So these sorts of things um, are indicators to me that something's going on, that there is a consciousness effect in all of reality. And that's, those, those are the kind of books I write, too. I do. Mm. I haven't written one recently since Quantum Jumps, but Reality Shifts and Quantum Jumps are two books I wrote about this very subject because it's, it's, it's life-changing. You know, you can take these ideas from quantum physics and recognize that you can turn your life around. You can look at your own beliefs and um, listen to yourself talk, the kind of things that you're thinking over and over again. And you can actually take them out, write them down, flip them around, so kind of create a, a healing belief to override and cancel out the destructive ones. And you can literally change, turn your life around mm. quite effectively. So it's very practical. So yeah, so there's a um, there's actually a social psychologist in um, Texas, I think James um, Pennebacker. Um, I think that's how you say his last name. But he does a lot of work with um, linguistics and 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 story writing and trying to release old traumas and things. And you're so right. Where we we uh, we are because of our primitive mind, we fall ill to to the habits that we've we've created for ourselves. And sometimes we need to take ourselves from that perspective and just have a look at the kind of program that we're there we're living in you know and um that i mean that's very very practical how does quantum physics come into that okay well that's a good question um and some people of course are going to argue it does not <laughs> it's <laughs> funny we talk about skeptical voice it's the first one i'm hearing like like it does not yeah but obviously it does <laughs> okay well, the way I would see it is that there's, remember that thanks to the observer, what they call the observer effect, looking at that double slit experiment, and if you're looking exactly at the slit, you can tell which slit it goes through, and then you've got particles. Well, the same thing's happening here. So obviously, um, when you're able to observe what you're looking for, in other words, with something like a belief, here's where the dichotomy arises and physicists are going to be quick to say that's psychology. We do not deal with psychology. Right. Okay. Fair enough. 
So you just sort of go into a gray area with us here today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not exactly physics per se, but you can recognize the principles still apply. Because if you have a belief, then this becomes in psychology um, an operating field. It's kind of like this is your context. This is how you see yourself and the world. And to break free from an existing belief, um, there's a process to it. You, it's not it's not easy for people to suddenly bust out of a victim mindset, for mm. example, when they're fully vested in it and they see the world that way, that they, they are a victim, there's a persecutor, maybe a rescuer has come to them, they're thick in the Cartman drama triangle, and they're, they're fully ensconced in it. So to make a breakout, um, that's a process. <laughs> yes. It involves um, you know, finding um, maybe there's a way to stretch their story so they're more than a victim. Mm. And they kind of, by degrees, find, get out of that drama triangle and make break their way out. <clears throat> so the quantum physics of it, I would say, uh, you can make an instant jump, but from the psychology side of it, that can be quite shocking. And you can have a psychological break, which we don't really recommend. So it's better to... When you've got a belief, work your way out by degrees is what I would recommend. So it's possible to do it with quantum physics. I don't recommend a huge jump unless you're psychologically extremely strong and you don't mind ending up in a really different reality where you're very different, everybody's different. And it's possible, but it's shocking. So I recommend go slowly. This is a weird area where physics and psychology come together. Mm. But, I mean, it does make sense. I mean, it's not... I mean. It's funny, you know, Henry Ford really made that whole specialization thing in the economy big where it's like, you do this, you do this, you do this. And then we all separated each other and we got anxious and depressed. But now we're getting so, so intelligent in all our separate fields, they're kind of starting to mold and, and convolute and, and all that sort of stuff. And you, you do see why um, I, I'm, I'm very interested in psychology. and That's where I, what I read a lot and get a lot of my content from. And you do, you do see how people start to play the victim card because they they go through an experience that's so psychologically damaging that to not play the victim card would be to creep out into that unknown again and potentially have to go through that again without... And the reason why that happens is because people don't have... They don't formulate a plan from it. Something so bad happens to them and they don't know what to do and then they freak out and the emotions trapped without cognitively processing it. And then they never go back to that experience and figure out, okay, if that happens again, what do I do? Do I, do I stand and fight or do, do I run away and flee? And then we get trapped and we start telling ourselves this story of the world's dangerous, the world's dangerous, the world's dangerous. And before you know it, you're in that, you're in that little, um, you know, that potentially detrimental uh, program we were talking about. <clears throat> yes, exactly. I like what you're saying. So I'm looking forward to the time when we've got psychophysics or yeah. physiopsychics <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's gonna be cool um but, but in the meantime yeah i love it too i love the psychology i'm looking at like how do you break free from the that victim mindset and it's such a big topic right now we, we're seeing like the me too movement and everything mm. so it's like i think it's very relevant for people to find ways to um to help themselves feel confident in that unknown in quantum physics, we see the unknown as fields of possibility. Yeah. So it's like these are possibility wave functions, and everything is out there. And to a person who's been terrified and frightened, that's not a very calming idea. <laughs> Sometimes people want structure. And so I can see why the 
the patterns that we're familiar with are the ones we fall back on because mm. we're we're already we think we know like okay I know how to be be right you know I can be the victim I can be like I was victimized like okay and the rescuer can be good like I'm good I'm saving people you know whatever but then when we start seeing through that like okay that was that's okay it kind of serves a purpose for a while mm. when you need that kind of structure it's there but then when you break free further then where are you you're in the field of possibility and so maybe by knowing that people can um, play with it and, and be safe there uh, that, that's what I like to do is to show people you can be safe there you can ask questions like how good can it get which steers it in a good direction because on all levels of your being you know what good is you're not going to mess it up <laughs> absolutely say, like, how good can it get and if you need that you'll get what you need mm. and you can start trusting that exciting process but it gets into things like the Mandela effect where people are noticing on a collective social level that reality is shifting and history is changing and facts are not staying the same uh, very true and facts are uh, especially like what you said with that me too movement facts are uh, uh, different different perspectives you know someone says they were assaulted another one says that it was it's just just a night that didn't work out in the end you know it's very interesting but I think I think overall there are always these big I didn't know this was going to get political <laughs> but there are there are always these um, these big shifts and, and and movements you know at the individual level as well as a social level and I think the good thing about um, social media is that it's given everyone a voice and everyone power so you know, obviously there are some people in that Me Too movement that have taken it way too far, but then they're kind of bringing awareness to the idea that everyone has their own truth. And we can kind of now orientate ourselves forward with the idea that none of us want to be a victim, but let's all kind of work together and um, and make ourselves better for ourselves and for everyone else as well. So taking them out, it's just hopefully it doesn't become too damaging for other people who never meant to make people victims, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Politics is a huge area. And so it's, you're right, that would be like a whole other show. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know it's classic. Oh my so when did you, because so you, you went to uni, um, when did you start studying quantum physics? Uh, well, I started really at UC Berkeley. That was in the 1980s. And so I had a great professor, um, Professor Clark. He was from England and did a lot of good work. We all thought he should get a Nobel Peace Prize or something. And, and I had Professor Trilling, a wonderful professor. And recently, I've been in touch with uh, Professor Yasunori Nomura because I like to look at the, at the field of physics. What's still happening? What's going on? What are the top theories? And Dr. Nomura is working with the Large Hadron Collider, and he's worked with Alan Guth. Long story short, he's just one of the people trying to put together an idea of how can you bring the cosmos together with the very small wow. quantum. And so I was able to tell Dr. Nomura that in my reality, when I wrote the book Quantum Jumps, he did not exist, which um, you can't say that to a regular person on the street and have them not be like, what do you mean? You know, like those are fighting words. What do you mean I did not exist? But Nomura, he just got this smile on his face, like, mm. You know, and I said, I was, then I realized, like, oh, gosh, I shouldn't have said that. And I said, well, people have told me that a lot. I've heard it from a lot of people. They know for sure that they would have seen me if I did exist in their previous reality. And they know I did not. And so, but he already got it. He, he was already right there. So mm. That was cool. So I, I think I think that's, um, I get hope from that, from the new generations of people 
playing with Minecraft, the, there's a quantum uh, component to that game. So we've got people uh, learning to think in a quantum way. So you've got building blocks that are quantum, they're entangled. So you might be building a city with bricks and the bricks are all gold one minute and then they're brick another. They can change and there's teleportation going on and all of those kinds of ideas from quantum physics are built into the world. And so when we've got people thinking that way, and that was intentional, that, that game Minecraft was created with the quantum module precisely because we need engineers to develop quantum computers, quantum software, and think in terms of quantum logic, which we haven't done too well at with our traditional university training. Because even the quantum physics class I took, it wasn't teaching us how to think like a quantum, like in, in that quantum mindset. It does, it, it would basically give you equations to solve, you know, talk about experiments, but, but to get into the mindset itself, that's amazing. You know, that's mm. getting into the, basically like the way God thinks with the universe, which is what Einstein wanted to know. All of our top scientists want to know that, you know, what is God thinking? <laughs> well, well, since we're on the topic, what is, what is God? <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's unknowable by any human standard. There's no way we could actually say with certainty. We've got it boxed in, defined, and we're using our little human words to describe it. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Not going to happen. So it's, it's got to be always bigger than and um, more all-encompassing than anything that our senses can show us, that our mind can comprehend. So I think it's essentially unknowable. But at the same time, I think there's a sense for me of being um, supported, loved, nurtured, that there's a sense of ultimate goodness. All the qualities I would most care about that are most meaningful to me, that's what God embodies. So, mm. so at the same time as I can't describe it at all, it's ineffable. It's, it's also got all this goodness. So. Sounds a lot like um, pantheism almost. It could be seen that way, but that might also be a mistake to say that's all it is. Yes. Any anytime you say, "Oh, here it is," I think you've slightly missed the boat somewhere. Yeah, it was a good, it's like a good try, really nice, but probably there's more to it. Yeah, well, I think, uh, and then Saint Thomas Aquinas said it was like the the idea of God is way bigger than any human can understand. Yes, I mm. totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Wow. So this is just it's it is quite mind blowing to have a. Um, a scientist talk talking these ideas. It's it's very very interesting. I love it at the same time. Um, where is the collective um, quantum world taking this? Like you mentioned before, teleportation as well. Could you could you get into that? Like that just seems like something out of Star Trek. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> sometimes if you look at some of the weirder things that have happened metaphysically, I love metaphysics because then you hear these bizarre stories. Sometimes it's from saints. Sometimes. And they try to downplay it like that didn't really happen, you know. We're not really levitating. We don't really smell like flowers. You know, <laughs> we don't just instantly heal things. But they do, they do, they do. They teleport too. And so, you know, it's very interesting. So you've got these very humble spiritual adepts who are having these astonishing experiences, really downplaying it like that didn't happen. Nobody saw it. But yeah, it did, you know. Mm. <laughs> there are witnesses. And then you've got people like you're talking about the alchemists and then the Taoists, you know, the immortals. We've had people around the world on the trail of, you know, how do you do this stuff? How do you work with, um, you know, inner key? We've had Nei Kung masters 
that would like to work with that inner energy in the body and transform the world with it. So um, there's been a lot of exploration of it. But as far as teleportation goes, there have been some astonishing experiences. Um, sometimes with children, there were some famous stories in Italy um, hundreds of years ago where a couple of young children just kept teleporting. They would, The parents were getting flustered and trying to keep them in the house and bring them home. This is very well documented. They'd bring the children home. I think that they were getting into a very theta state of mind. And this is before cars were common. A couple of people would have cars, so that tells you what must have been the early 1900s. But these children, these two boys, would just suddenly be um, hundreds of miles away because they, they don't want to be home. And I think they were just feeling like, it'd be fun to be over there. Boom, they're over there. And their parents Whoa. have to go collect them and bring them back home again. So this was well documented. There have been some other really trippy cases of teleportation. So what we're saying is um, this is a quantum phenomenon. Wow, yeah, it certainly <laughs> Thank you. But then when you get to be big, like a human, it's not going to happen as often. So the fact that it was happening relatively often is extremely unusual and interesting. Um, but having said all that, I do hear from people who are teleported to safety when they're about to crash their car or a car is coming at them. And they just say, like, wow, something saved my life. Must have been an angel or God, or I don't know what it was. But I, I was standing in one place one minute, and then I was 20 feet away. I didn't jump. I was just in a different place. Whoa. And it saved my life. And I lots of people where, where that does happen. Wow. And they often don't want to talk about it because how do you describe this? And, you know, people say, like, you're nuts. That couldn't have happened. Mm. I know. But it's interesting because, like, nothing um, – everything's impossible until someone does it, you know? Even – like, we've all seen Usain Bolt run, but 20 years ago that was impossible. Yeah. Yeah, things are changing. Our, our technology is constantly taking us forward. So, but uh, and think people want the technology. I think to um, teleport, they want um, quantum technologies to be here, sort of. And there's also a lot of fear about what does that mean? <laughs> How will this change everything? And I don't know. I, I'm not a technologist. I'm, I'm more looking at it from the internal side. Of course. And I believe that we can, we'll find our way through just fine. If we stay positive, keep asking how good can it get. Mm. Really, it's going to matter more and more to focus on that to help steer everything in a good direction. Well, we survived the Cold War. So, I mean, you know, how much worse can it get? <laughs> we always find a way. That, that's our DNA. How good can it get? How good can it get? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely right. Yeah. And that's another example of how we're always tilted towards the worst case scenario. When even just by writing it down, even just by writing down the future as opposed to always thinking about the past can be so beneficial, even from a psychological perspective. I was talking about that psychologist before. Yeah, exactly. And leaving it open so we start feeling a little comfortable with the uncertain, with things that are a little unexpected. That's hard. I mean, I know it's hard for me to, to feel like positive even when things seem like, like it's all falling apart, but... But that's part of the spiritual path. And it can become part of the quantum spiritual path too, just knowing that, well, it looks kind of bad, but just hang in there because something good's going to come. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, wow. So just on that note then, with your life coaching business as well, what sort of suffering do you see the most? Do you see people that are suffering existentially? Because this is something I'm writing about. I'm really fascinated at the moment. Is it existential suffering? Is it dealing with past traumas? Is it not knowing who they are and what they want to do? 
the thing i see a lot of is just kind of tangled up in themselves which i don't know where that fits in your model but it's very much the thing of their head is in one direction like look like they like they often tell me i want to change the past i made one small mistake i want to go back and fix it you did a video about that and so they're kind of um there's they're seeing it differently than what i meant it as and it's very interesting because they're very fixated from here in their head about what they think they want their heart is in some other place entirely their heart's not even in that and they're they're not aware that what they care most about they're not even aware of what they most love they haven't felt that so there's a denial of that and perhaps most galling and most problematic is they have no idea what they need um it's when these three things are all at odds then it looks to them like random events are occurring um to me it's obvious you're always going to get what you need and so if you don't even look at that well there are going to be some surprises coming you know because you have no idea but it's gonna it'll come because you need it so it's coming and but you could listen to it you can you can learn to listen to that subconscious and i love how you brought up carl jung wow you know there was a master not just at understanding the um you know the inner subconscious but the collective yeah looking at those archetypes and how does it connect and wow that's big because we're social animals we do work collectively and sometimes when people don't understand that either they if, if they could just understand it then they wouldn't say the things they do like i just want my little world to work like well have you thought about the collective how do you fit there no like what do you need don't care you know what do you love doesn't matter i'm fixated like oh boy so i see a lot of that and um people often don't know they're doing it so it's, mm. it's easy trap to fall into our western culture it sort of propels us in that direction and <laughs> yeah so i see a lot of that again just various versions of tangle tangling up but most of the people i i work with are meditators some uh, quite a few of them actually are life coaches psychologists and uh, they want to go deeper they want to they want to know how to listen to those levels of themselves mm -hmm. so before a session i meditate and i i tune in and i get what's coming through for me and i share that with them so that we can go as deeply into that as they want with that shared awareness which which can be quite extraordinary yeah yeah gee i love it um probably got to finish up soon but i just i've got this um really i think important question that i want to finish on and um if any of that was kind of firstly um where can people find you because that's important too yes the best way to find me is my website realityshifters.com and that's uh it's pretty basic because you can then find where i am on facebook youtube i've got my monthly newsletter so if you feel like you, you'll forget about me just sign up for the newsletter and you'll get a monthly reminder like oh that's right it's <laughs> good <laughs> so that's the best thing i think great and and what about some practical tools for people that um yeah aren't well versed in this stuff but just want to make a positive change what where can they start I recommend uh, just introspection, meditation, even just a couple minutes when you fall asleep, when you wake up. Just take some slow, deep breaths to your lower abdomen. Practice uh, releasing all tension. You might think you wake up and you're, there's no tension at all. Just check and see where you are. You know, be observant. And if you're shocked to find, wow, I'm waking up and I'm tense. What is this about? Uh, well, that's a, that's good to be aware of. And then just get get into the practice of bringing some relaxation into that moment and you can also i would recommend when you first wake up i love that time to ask how good can it get to put myself in service to the highest greatest good 
if, um, just notice how your day goes differently if you remember to do that. Uh, you know, be a little bit of a scientist yourself and see where that goes. Mm. So that, that would be my biggest recommendation. Mm, I love it. I think introspection is so, so good. It just puts the power in your own hands to be like, wow, like, who am I and what, what do I, who do I want to be in this life? Like, who do I want to be when I'm 85, 90 years old? What kind of life can I look back on? It's, um, no, it is a little bit um, overwhelming to, to, to think how good life can be as opposed to what I think I need to do. And it might be different than what you've been told as well, because you might think that, uh, well, good means that. It means I've got got all the fancy car and fancy clothes, and I'm hanging out with the Kardashians. <laughs> but then if you ask yourself, do I really want that? Like, no. <laughs> mm. So then, then you have to find out, what do you really want? Yeah. So it's not what it looks like on TV or the magazines or whatever. It's different, so what is it? And well, how... how... Yeah, and how how do you how do you go about finding what you want? That comes um, again. I, I love Carl Jung for this too. It's just uh, learning to trust these um, this conversation that you can engage in with the universe, with yourself. Just getting getting comfortable with that language of symbols of um, that that deep resonance. Or, or um, I, I I think he's just the the best at explaining that. I think he really brought that forth. So that, I think that's the key. Just if you don't dream, then sleep a little bit more. Be good to yourself. <laughs> I think the dreams are so important, and daydreams too. Absolutely, yeah. He, he's. Um, I've just pumped through his stuff over the past six months. It's been fascinating. I love one of his things he said is, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but whatever you did as a kid that made the time flow into seconds or the hours flow like minutes, therein lies the secrets of your earthly pursuits. You know, and it's so true. It's like, what makes you feel like there's no such thing as time that you could just do it all day, every day, and it wouldn't even matter to you? That's a good starting place. That's super good. I agree. Mm, I love it. Well, Cynthia, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was awesome. Well, thank you, Tom. I've had a great time. It was a lot of fun. It was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. Oh, that's good. And um, I won't... Um, have you already had your morning coffee or are you a coffee drinker? Uh, yes, just having a little bit right now. Good. Good to know. Good to <laughs> know. Swedish, so, you know, we do <laughs> coffee. <laughs> very good. Good. All right. Well, thanks very much, Cynthia. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Yes. Stay in touch. Thanks, Tom. Bye.